Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see everybody here. Here on a beautiful Sunday afternoon in Chicagoland. We have a big show to get to. John Meadows directing and producing. We're live here from our Chicagoland studios. The Bears are open to trading the number nine overall pick. And get this, they could go up or down. We're going to look at Ryan Poles' quote and talk about what it could mean for the Bears in their future. We have Cubs and White Sox previews. Cactus League action is ending. And opening day is coming up this week. Talk about both teams and what to expect out of them in 2023. Plus, later in this show, a segment I'm going to be very passionate about. And here's the question. Has Major League Baseball gone too mainstream? Sure, many of you have seen these recent commercials about baseball, touting the new rule changes. They're paying celebrities to talk about the game. Is that good or bad? Why is Major League Baseball doing it? And what can we discern from it? All that comes up later on. You don't want to miss that segment. You can find us live right now on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook at Sports Talk Chicago. Follow me personally at John G Sports all over the place. Support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. For the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland, hit them up today in Orland Park. Pretty exciting time for them. They have their pie order form going out right now. You can head on into the store or give them a call and reserve a pie. And as they go every week to pick up new product, they'll have a customized pie ready for you to give to yourself and your family. Uh, their pies are outstanding, and it's really a good time to buy. So make sure you call them today and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. <clears throat> well, I want to start today with this. Ryan Poles is a pretty smart man. <laughs> For all the times in which I've berated him over the past year, I have to say these past couple of months have been ingenious shrewd, and manipulative, but in a good way, clever. He's been so clever in outsmarting other teams, not revealing his hand publicly, and allowing the Bears to stack up tons of draft picks ahead of this draft and even the next one. We had Dave Richard on the program this week. He talked about how the Bears having a couple of first-rounders next year could allow them to hedge their bet in case Justin Fields doesn't pan out. Ryan Poles is setting up his team for the future, plain and simple. And he's ready to move forward with this team and lead to success with or without without Justin Fields. It doesn't necessarily rely on him, which I think is genius. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. If Justin Fields has a bad year, you're ready for next year. He's made some expert moves, some smart moves. And right now, according to some new reports from Jason Leisure of the Chicago Sun-Times, Ryan Poles may not be done making moves. <laughs> At Alabama's Pro Day on Friday, he was asked, Poles, if he is open to trading down again from the ninth position or even trading up. And here's what Poles had to say. Here's the full quote. We're open to that, said Poles, who didn't rule out trading back up either. It depends on what the deals look like, but there's also multiple drop-offs as you go back throughout the draft. So... We might not think that's the best way to go because a certain drop-off at a certain premium position 
might be coming up soon, we will stay fluid. Those last couple of words really define everything that is the Bears and their approach this offseason. We will stay fluid. And it might sound simple, but that philosophy, to me, is just so smart. If you're set in your ways, if you're a GM and you're like, we're going to do this and that's it, you're probably never going to be successful. And here's why. You have no ability to adapt on the move. If you're a GM and you're targeting one or two certain players and they're off the board draft day, what are you going to do? You have to be ready to anticipate bad things happening and still execute and succeed when said bad things happen. There's never going to be a perfect situation. Never. It just it won't happen. We don't live in a perfect world. There are always wrenches thrown your way, problems, issues. Things change on the fly. What are you going to do? And Ryan Poles so far, and we have to wait for the draft to really know, has done a great job at just adjusting on the fly, having an idea of what he wants to do. Then when things don't go his way, he adjusts, improves, stays fluid, and makes a good move and makes a change for this team. I think if anything, that option of staying fluid even extends to personnel and coaches and the organization as a whole. Ryan Poles so far has decided to put facts over feelings. For example, he let David Montgomery go. I like David Montgomery. It sucks that he left. But for some reason, Ryan Poles said yes, and it happened. He didn't sit there and say, well, I'm loyal to David Montgomery. I'm a fan of David Montgomery. No, he said, you know what? Business reasoning dictates that we're going to let him go. And that's okay. There's no hatred. There's no problem with that move. It just happened. It was a business decision. He is pure business. I respect it, and I appreciate it. There's no loyalty. There's no favorites. There's no, well, I'm really, really invested in this guy. I mean, even Justin Fields could technically be on the chopping block at the end of this year. He's already set himself up so that if Justin doesn't work, he's ready for next year with a new quarterback drafting somebody. He is not playing games. And that quote pretty much defines his philosophy and his style throughout now this second offseason for him. Fluidity. We are going to stay fluid. Look at last year. How many guys were cut and shipped out, even though the Bears had so much dead money, they rolled with it. They're going to have more dead money this year. They still rolled with it. He wanted to get rid of any reference to Ryan Pace that existed with his organization. Everybody gone. He cut down payroll, kept the team out of the cap, built up tons of cap space for this year, tanked, and now has the top pick, traded it for more picks, still is a top pick. Everything he's done has had a cold business mentality. There are no feelings. There's no loyalty. There's no, well, I really love this guy. He's not a fan. He's a general manager. And you have to respect that and appreciate it. General managers have to care about the team. They have to interact somewhat personally with these players. But if you're a GM and you become a fan of a certain player or a fan of somebody, or if you're like, well, I picked him, I have to stay too loyal to him, that's going to end up hurting you and have you probably eventually get fired. That's what I love. He is saying, instead, we're going to be fluid. 
and the Bears could move up or move down. Maybe they'll move up. Maybe they see somebody they really like at seven or five or maybe all the way up at one even. Highly doubt that, but still. Or they can move back down and trade nine and get maybe a couple of first-round picks this year, maybe one next year, and turn that into even more picks and even more opportunities for the Bears. I guess I just appreciate the no-nonsense business approach from Ryan Poles. I'm sick of favorites. I'm sick of worrying about feelings and fan bases like Matt Nagy and Ryan Payne stand. Ryan Poles is simply like, well, if you don't like it too bad, this is my philosophy, this is my team, and I will do whatever it takes it needs to win. I will do whatever it takes. I don't care what other people have to tell me. I appreciate that. Matt Nagy came to public pressure and allowed Justin Fields to get killed against Cleveland. Brian Pace and Matt Nagy, to an extent, came to public pressure and gave up a lot to get Justin Fields to move up and grab him. And although Justin Fields is great, no matter what, I don't think that was necessarily their idea. I think they were too focused on public perception instead of, hey, maybe he's a great quarterback, we should take him. Everybody demanded another quarterback because Mitch Trubisky didn't work out. So then they moved up and did it. Fine. I think it was more of a public perception move and a let's save our jobs move than, well, he might be the best guy out there, per se. Ryan Poles so far, now granted he has job security, but he's made moves that have not necessarily pleased everybody, but have shown that he's going to put his own mark on this team and he doesn't care what anybody else has to say. He doesn't care if there's going to be scorn or problems or people complaining. At the end of the day, it's his team. He will do things the way he wants to do them. He's willing to be fluid. He said it. Maybe the Bears will move up or down. Who knows? But either way, criticism or not, it's going to happen according to the way he wants it. That's what I like. There's no fear. There's no worry about Chicago fans and how much they're going to complain. There's just, hey, we're going to do it. And if it makes sense for us as a team, it's going to happen. That's what I like. The great business leaders of this day do that. The great GMs and executives do that. Even the great managers and head coaches do that on the field. with play calling and formation and putting players where they should be, maybe switching them around position-wise, whatever it is. They don't act based on emotion or fanfare, or worry that they're going to be fired. They just do something and then take responsibility for it either way. Ryan Poles has not been perfect in his general manager tenure with the Bears. He's made some bad decisions. Last year, Larry Ogunjobi, that was a dumb move. Bellis Jones drafted him third overall and hyping him up to be something that he really is not. Bad draft pick. So he hasn't been perfect. But he's getting better, and I think this draft will really show off what he's capable of doing. Now he has a now now he's had a year to prepare. You know, last year comes in in January. Oh, hey, the draft's in April. Crap. This year, well, full off season, made moves, signed people, has had money to play with, has had draft picks to play with, and now has a full year to scout players. I don't think this is going to be a dud of a draft for the Bears. Simply because I believe enough in Ryan Poles to think that it's going to be better than last year. More time to prepare, 
more of an opportunity to scout players. And, oh, by the way, he's already traded the first overall pick. He knows what he's doing. And that quote signifies everything that's right with the Bears and their leadership now. You never heard Ryan Pace say that. <laughs> never heard him say, well, we're going to be fluid. No, Ryan Pace was so inexperienced and was so reliant on other people to get the job done that he was just so set in his ways, stone-faced, stone-headed, stubborn. Didn't think maybe I should deviate from the norm a bit. He was so worried about fanfare and all these other things that have nothing to do with being a pure general manager. Ryan Poles doesn't care. Goodbye, Khalil Mack. Last year, cut up. See you later. <laughs> Despite the dead cap hit. Drafted all these players. This year, traded the number one overall pick. Chose not to draft a quarterback, but set himself up that if he needs to draft one next year, he will. He does not care what people have to say. You know, everybody was so pissed when we did the Dave Richard interview, and Dave Richard talked about potentially the Bears hedging their bet and being ready for next year, having an insurance policy for Justin Fields. Nobody wants to hear that there could be an insurance policy for Justin Fields, but the fact is, if it happens, the Bears will be covered. Nobody likes the fact that Ryan Poles maybe is covering his bases and worried about Fields. That's why he has something ready for next year. But at the end of the day, it's the smart move. And whether or not people agree with it or like it or praise it or not, he's going to do what he has to do to help out this team win and be better. That's his job. We're going to question everything. We're going to be misunderstanding some of his moves over time. Maybe, you know, over time, then it'll be clear. I understand that, too. It's not going to be perfect. And Poles is going to make mistakes he already has. But for the most part, he's been smart. He's been shrewd. He's been sensible. And whether or not we agree with it, it doesn't matter. We have to accept it. So Although even some people may not be happy with the Bears trading up or down at number nine, tough luck, too bad. Deal with it. And that's what Ryan Poles is saying to everybody. This isn't me talking. It's him and his actions talking. Who cares if you don't agree with it? The fact is it's going to happen. Who cares if you don't like them being fluid or not? It's going to happen. And I'd rather have somebody decisive and willing to stand up to critics and media and fanfare than somebody who's too scared to make a move or too scared to do something because of all those factors. Ryan Pace was too scared to make moves. Same with Matt Nagy. They put on a tough face, but at the end of the day, it's been reported on that they've made moves due to fanfare and public perception. Ryan Paul's not going to do that yet, and I respect him for it. Now, if he changes, I'll be right there to criticize him, but for right now, that's not the case. He's willing to tell the fans, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Calm down. You'll see later why this is happening. I'm ensuring our team, not hurting my team. All these things he's doing, and he's moving at a great pace, and he's having the right mindset throughout the entire situation. I love it, and I appreciate it, and I respect it. I may not agree with every one of his moves, but I respect his mindset. I respect his philosophy. I respect him not bowing down or kowtowing to the media and fans. Great job. He needs to keep that up. So when he says in this quote to Jason Leisure, there's going to be fluidity, they may go up or down. They may trade that number nine pick. I say, do what you need to do to make this team better. 
It could be unorthodox. It could be weird. We could be questioning it today, but I don't care as long as you win. And this Bears team, as we've talked about at length these past couple of weeks, should be an 8, 9, 10 win team now in 2023. It's time for Justin Fields to move up a step. Time for the Bears to draft well. It's time for them to develop into a good team. So that way in 2024, they're going to be potentially a Super Bowl contender. Who knows? This is their big year of growth and their big year of prove it football. Prove to everybody that all these moves you made are going to turn into a successful team. Prove to everybody that training the first overall pick will lead to eight or nine wins this year, more draft picks next year, and a potential Super Bowl juggernaut for the next five to ten years. The Bears are in prove-it mode. And I think Ryan Poles is happy to be in that situation. He's gotten time to rebuild this team, and even this year it's going to be somewhat of a rebuild. Rebuild slash retool on the fly and see what we can do with this team. He's okay with that. He's gotten ample time to disassemble the ridiculousness of Ryan Pace and build his own team. And he's done a great job of doing it. Now the question is, can they execute? Can they win? And I'd rather have an executive tell me, hey, I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to be fluid than somebody who says, I know everything, and I'm going to make sure that we win and then turn out to lose. The best executives don't have every single answer. And how could you, right? It's just so unpredictable. You don't know who's going to be great. You don't know if this pick is going to be a flop or not. And you're going to be judged on it no matter what. So instead of saying, I know, and then being wrong, say, well, I'm going to be fluid. And then if you're wrong, you're wrong. If you're right, you're right. It's just smart. He is such a high IQ, high intelligence guy. And that's what I appreciate out of somebody running one of the greatest franchises in football history. I'm so happy it's not Ryan Pace anymore. <laughs> or even other GMs in the past, right? Bill Embry, Jerry Angelo, though he had somewhat of a uh, run of success. But there's still there, there are problems with all those guys. And Poles has, has had his share of problems too, but... The overall idea and the overall philosophy of Ryan Poles is something that I can appreciate, something that I can understand and champion. Fluidity. Not stone-headed, not stubborn, not I know and you don't know. Instead, we're going to take a look, we're going to see, we're going to do what we can. And if something shifts, if something changes, we have a contingency plan. We're going to be ready in case something shifts on the fly or changes up or our best guy's off the board, what are we going to do? There's no panic in his voice. And he's a generally calm guy, too, in his demeanor. He knows what he's doing. I'm confident in him being the leader. And just by this quote, it's a small quote, little blurb to Jason Leisure, but I'll tell you what, it shows a lot about who Ryan Poles is, and it justifies all the moves he's made recently to help out this team. It shows off what he's already done. It justifies the actions he's already committed. Fluidity. It's not I know all the answers. It's I'm going to adjust based on the situation. That's why this Bears team could be good in 2023. That's why Ryan Poles is a much better GM than Ryan Pace. Take a look at some of your comments here. A lot of you hanging out in the chat today. Chief Rocka from Guam. Hanging with us. Really appreciate that. Uh, T.O. Gold, one four three. the Bears need everything, and the kitchen sink, so refreshing to have a Bears GM that knows what he's doing. 
Mike Thompson. We've had so many offensive tackles in free agency and didn't move on any of them. I don't understand it. That's why we need uh, need one bad big time. The Hart Foundation, by the way, whoever thought Trubinsky was better than Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Watson needs to be on the do-not-call list ever for a front office position. By the way, just so you know, we've talked about this before, um, Ryan Pace is currently an executive with the Atlanta Falcons, along with, hint, hint, Phil Embry. Yeah, Phil Embry and Ryan Pace are now working together with the Atlanta Falcons. They actually wanted David Montgomery. Pace was pushing to get David Montgomery this year in free agency because Pace drafted him and knows his potential. How crazy is that? Just goes to show you, it's who you know, not what you know sometimes. Pools is very calculated. I believe he'll add um, to the offensive line. There will be a tackle as well as a center drafted, guaranteed. Uh, sophisticated thoughts. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Pools is very, that's a great way to put it, very calculated. I said shrewd, intelligent, high IQ, calculated. He doesn't just act on a whim, doesn't listen to fans going on and on about why the Bears are going to be a failure this year. He just does what he needs to do, makes decisions, thinks, does the research, and then tries to justify to everybody. If they don't listen, too bad. We're moving forward. It's a freight train moving. Either get on or you're going to be run over. That's Ryan Poles. That's his philosophy. I like it. There's no kowtowing. There's no, well, here's what I tried to do, or, oh, I hope you guys approve of me. No. It's either you understand. If you don't, too bad. Good luck. You'll see it later. And if I'm wrong, I'll say it I'm wrong. Black range, 79-20. hope you're right. You're the only media personality that thinks the Bears can win that many games. And I'm saying 7-10. I don't understand why that's out of the picture. I think it's a failure if the Bears win 5 or 6 this year. They won 3 this past season. With all the talent that they had out of Justin Fields, they were in a lot of those games. They should be winning 7-10 games. They should be a fringe wildcard team. And if they're not, I don't understand why we're not holding them to a higher standard. And why the media in this town is not um, willing to hold the Bears to that higher standard. Of course, you got to watch out who you're listening to, too. Some people are going to be shilling too much for the Bears. They're not going to tell you the truth. And the truth is, with this team, with the players they've signed, with the cap space they still have left over, and with the draft picks that they've acquired, if you tell me they shouldn't be winning 7-10 to games, you're crazy. I'm not going to settle for five wins out of this Bears team. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Or six. And sit here and call it a success. That's a pity party. That's a moral victory. I'm not about moral victories. We need to see some results out of this team this year. And I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm not even saying playoffs. But we need to see a better, more improved team, especially now with Green Bay and with the whole Aaron Rodgers situation up in the air. There is going to be no front-runner in this division with the exception of maybe Detroit. You have a chance in divisional play alone to go 500, if not above 500, plus the teams you face outside of your division. There is no reason why they can't win 7-10 to 10 games. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they might be shilling for the Bears or they're trying to help them out. You know, there are stations in Chicago, there are people in Chicago who are too loyal to the Bears who are going to, you know, Say stuff about them that may not be true or try and promote them like a PR person. I'm telling you the truth. I like this team. I think they're talented. I think Ryan Pulse has done an outstanding job. They should win 7-10 to 10 games. Can't be satisfied with mediocrity and handing out checks to professionals without team results. Thank you. Exactly. The Hart Foundation right there summed it all up. We know how good this team could be. We know what they're capable of. We've seen the moves made by Ryan Pulse. There's still a draft to happen, too. It's time. It's time for the Bears to do something. I think they can. This is not me even criticizing. This is me being 
too hopeful maybe, too excited, but I think there's a reason to be that way with what Ryan Poles has done, with the trades that he's pulled off, with the players he's, he's signed, and the people he's brought in, the money that he's spent. You don't just spend all this money and make all these trades and go, man, man I hope we win five games. I mean, that's not how it works. You can't be hoping for five or six wins, so I don't understand why media personalities in this city are advocating for that. They are not seeing the big picture here. Seven wins minimum. Should be eight eight or nine, to be honest. Really, should be eight or nine wins. But seven, I'll take as a minimum. This team should be in the thick of it come November and December. They don't need to make the playoffs, but they need to be in that conversation. If they're not, I'd say that's pretty much a failure because... We're expecting Justin Fields to improve. We need to see Justin Fields win games for the Bears, single-handedly sometimes, in the fourth quarter, in overtime. The Bears have spent so much money on people. They're drafting players, top players. This is their opportunity to succeed and be better than a bottom feeder in the NFL. This is the year it begins, and this is the time for the Bears to make a statement, finally. No more settling for mediocrity. And if anybody tells you that you should, they're probably a shill. Sports Talk Chicago here with John Zagulow. John Meadows directing and producing. Hanging here with us. Contribute to the conversation. Comment on our live feeds, YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook at Sports Talk Chicago. Oh, Cactus League Baseball spring training is about to end for the major leagues, which means it's time to preview the Cubs and White Sox season. We do this every year. Uh, This year might be a little bit different for both teams. We're going to start with the Chicago Cubs. I have to say, and this is me talking, which I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but there could be some room for optimism with this Cubs team. As crazy as that sounds, (laughs) that's the case. There could be some room for optimism with this Cubs team, and that's my opening for this. The Cubs starting rotation is surprisingly as solid as a rock. (laughs) They're going to be looking so good starting rotation-wise. They have Marcus Stroman, had a great year last season. Kyle Hendricks, who's eh, someone you have to worry about. Drew Smiley, Jamison Tyone, who's a great three or four. Justin Steele's going to be in the mix. Keegan Thompson's going to be in the mix. And Hayden Wisniewski, who was just named the Cubs' fifth starter. And Hayden last year had a very good rookie season. Spring training, 3-1 and one with a 2.12 ERA as well in five starts. Last year, 2.18 ERA in six starts. Cubs starting rotation is actually one of the best young rotations in all of baseball. And I will say this, too. It's so funny. Theo Epstein could never develop a starting pitcher. Every year, there were signings to fill up the stop gaps in the Cubs rotation. But ever since he left, I have to say, the Cubs have done a great job at home-growing starting pitchers. They really have. Justin Steele has looked solid. Hayden Wisniewski, who's going to be the fifth starter, is, I think, poised for a breakout season. They've still spent some money. Keegan Thompson's been pretty good. He'll be in a long relief slash swingman role to enter the year. And Marcus Stroman on a pretty decently team-friendly contract. Had a good year last year. Drew Smiley did well last year. Jamison Tyone had about a four-year and won 14 games last year in New York. This Cubs rotation is very solid. If everybody plays up to their potential, they're going to have a great five to even seven-man rotation if you count swing guys and guys who could start when needed. Seiya Suzuki 
is going to be hurt to start off this year, but he's starting to hit home runs in batting practice, which is exciting. Cubs have Jan Gomes behind the plate. They have Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini at first base slash DH. The middle of their infield is so exciting. Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, you have Christopher Morrell, who could also play up the middle, and then Nick Madrigal, who's supposed to start at third base, along with Patrick Wisdom, who's going to be in the mix. The Cubs actually have some good hitting. Outfield's going to be Ian Happ, Cody Bellinger, who I'm a little bit worried about, and Seiya Suzuki as well, assuming he's going to be healthy. This team reminds me a lot of last year's team, and last year I said the Cubs could be a 500 team, and here's why. They had so many veteran guys who, if they played to their potential, they could have gone 500, and I'm going to say the same this year. If everybody, if everybody plays according to their potential, everybody on this team plays at the height of their career, if they play near their prime, this Cubs team could win 87 games and clinch a wildcard berth. If everybody plays according to their potential, this Cubs team could be in the wildcard game or series. It could happen. They could win 87, 88 games and sneak their way in. I see no reason why not. Their pitching is going to be solid, assuming everybody stays healthy and pitches up to their standards. And their offense is actually pretty good. Their lineup is actually pretty solid. Nice mix of power and speed and contact. They're not going to hit for a high average, but they're going to hit home runs and they're going to find a way to get on base. This Cubs team could win 87 or 88 games if healthy. I think overall, though, because there will be injuries, there will be disappointments, there will be struggles, the Cubs are going to win 82 games. 82 games in 2023. You can hold me to that prediction now. And I think that's really conservative on my part because I'm expecting some sort of catastrophe to hit. Maybe Cody Ballinger is going to be optioned to minor league baseball. I'm just kidding, but... Maybe he'll hit 082, like almost last year with the Dodgers. Maybe guys will get hurt. There are going to be problems. Maybe the rotation doesn't perform like it did last year. So many things could go wrong. But on a serious note, this Cubs team at its peak could win 88 games and clinch a wild card spot. But officially, I'm going to say 82 wins. 82 and 80, encouraging season. And if they go 82 and 80 this year, next year we could expect a playoff berth. I just want to say this about the Cubs, too. Everybody got on the Cubs and the Ricketts family for not spending money and trading away Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez back in 2019. Wilson Contreras isn't back either. But I have to say, they've done an outstanding job at minimizing what could have been a long rebuild. Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer came into power in 2012-2013 with the Cubs, and it took them until 2016 to win a World Series. 2020, they won the division and the COVID-shortened year. 2021 was a disaster, and last year was encouraging near the end. It can only take the Cubs two to three years to be back in playoff form versus five or six with Theo and company at first because they inherited a horrible situation. We have to give praise to Jed Hoyer and company for building up this Cubs team to be so good so quick. I really feel like there hasn't been enough praise for him and what he's done. Everybody likes to talk about Theo Epstein. Well, Theo Epstein left this team in shambles. Now he's sitting here shilling for baseball, talking about all these fun new rule changes, which we'll get to that later. But Theo left this team in shambles. Cubs had no pitching. They kept all their core. And he forced his friend, apparently, Jed Hoyer, to trade away everybody and take the blame for everything. What a friend that is, huh? 
that was my friend, I'd say you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> if my friend was running a baseball team and he said, see ya, I'm out of here, and then six months later I was forced to trade away everybody and everyone was going to point the blame on me, I'd say you're not my friend anymore. But that's what happened with Theo and Jed Hoyer. No one says anything about it. I'm going to say something about it. And Jed, with his back against the wall, with everybody coming after him, has actually turned this team into a competitive team within two years by himself. That's impressive. No one's talking about it. No one's giving him the praise that he deserves. He's done a great job. We're talking about all these players who we didn't even hear of two years ago. Wisniewski, Justin Steele, Adrian Sampson, who did well but got option to AAA. He could be a swingman too. Javier Assad. All these young, bright, talented pitchers have already proven this, themselves to an extent at the major league level. That was Jed Hoyer doing all that work. Jed Hoyer making sure that this rotation could be good in the future. It was Jed Hoyer who broke the mold about the Cubs not being able to develop a starting pitcher, not Theo Epstein. He has not gotten enough praise for the job he's done in turning this team around within two to three years. It took Theo six. It's taken Jan two to three. They're going to be a 500 team this year at minimum. He signed Dansby Swanson. I don't like the move fully, but he made a big move, made a big splash. He has Nico Horner at second base. He has Ian Happ still in the mix, coming off a career year. Cody Bellinger is on the team for a one-year $20 million deal. They have a couple of first basemen. They have DHs galore. They have some nice bats. They have young players who may have to ride the bench this year because they're so talented, like Christopher Morrell. Nick Madrigal, to an extent. Chad Hoyer has done such a great job and does not get enough praise for it. So I'm here to praise him today. I'm here to say that the Cubs have done a good job in executing this rebuild, and they're not getting enough credit for doing it. They're not going to be a World Series winner this year, maybe not even next year. They're not going to be maybe even a playoff team this year, although that could be their ceiling. But they're going to be encouraging. And we're going to see a lot of fun baseball to them in 2023, I think. It's not going to be a 70-win season or a 100-loss season. I think the Cubs could win 82 games conservatively with their ceiling being 88 in a wild card spot. There's no reason why not. There's a lot of talent on this team. Money has been spent. Investments have been made. And it's only going to get better. Next year, there's going to be more free agents out there. There's going to be more of an opportunity to spend. More players are going to come up from AAA, AA, single A to the major leagues. We have to give Jed Hoyer credit for turning this Cubs team from a lapping stock and from him getting all the blame to now a competent baseball team with a bright future. I would even argue today, and I'm not even a Cubs fan, the Cubs have a brighter future right now than the White Sox. They do. The White Sox were disappointing last year when they should have been good. The White Sox have a lot to prove this year. They have a chip on their shoulder, and if they don't perform this year, there could be another rebuild on the south side. The Cubs are playing with house money and have absolutely nothing to lose. If they go 500 this year, it's going to be a huge success, and it could propel them into real success come 2024. The Cubs are just starting. Well, the White Sox already, even though their window should have been five to seven years, is kind of going down. The Cubs are in a way better position today than the White Sox, and only time will tell if 
Their investments are going to pay off, but I'll tell you right now, praise to Jed Hoyer. And I hope we see more of that during this season. Everybody's forgetting. Everybody's pissed at Jed for COVID and not spending money and trading away this core. Tell you what, another newsflash, the core needed to be traded. The Cubs were actually losing games because of them. Because they all had World Series hangover and could never snap out of it. And just to let you know, this core that everybody loves to talk about is not performing in their own right. Anthony Rizzo had a decent year last year, but at 226, career-low batting average, had enough home runs to justify a good season. Chris Bryant barely played last year, about 30 games. What a surprise. And Javier Baez continued to be Javier Baez, had an OPS around 700, had an OPS plus around 100. He was a league average hitter last season after getting paid tons of money by Detroit to do absolutely nothing and to strike out at record rates personally for him. Javi Baez has still not learned how to lay off the low and outside fastball. Still, this is like year 10 for him in baseball. My goodness. So we want to sit here and lament over the corn, wonder about the World Series and all these great players. Well, guess what? They were forcing the Cubs to lose, and they were actually stagnating the Cubs. They forced the Cubs not to grow, not to get better, not to be in a situation in which they are today. The trades needed to happen for the Cubs to improve and be where they are today. And Jed Hoyer is the reason why we sit here today and talk about it. Just two years ago, I could go and look on Twitter, all the tweets of people saying, Yep, you, Jed Hoyer. What a horrible move. You suck. Theo was better than you. Well, guess what? Look at the Cubs today. Look at where they stand today. I said from two years ago, y'all need to be patient. We all need to trust in a mini rebuild to a major rebuild because the Cubs need it. And now we're sitting here talking about players that we had no idea who they were a couple of years ago. Nobody knew who Adrian Sampson was two years ago. Nobody knew who Javier Assad was two years ago. Come on. And if you did, you're lying. Nobody knew Justin Steele two years ago. And yet here we are today with three or four young pitchers that are controllable who could be contributing major stuff to this Cubs rotation. They signed Dansby Swanson. Christopher Morrell has been an aberration. He's been very good. There are some good things coming from these young Cubs players. All of that should be attributed to Jed Hoyer. So as I sit here and watch what the Cubs do in 2023, we're going to follow it pretty closely, but... If they succeed in any way, I advise all of you, remember who started the rebuild. Remember who made the tough decision to stick with this team and not leave and abandon them. Theo abandoned this team when they needed him most. Jed stuck with it, took all the abuse and criticism that came along with it, and turned this team into a brand new ball club, a revitalized ball club, a a rebranded ball club that's going to be good now. Thank you, Jed Hoyer. And that's my Cubs season preview. Jed does deserve a lot of respect, says David. Mike Frost says that Suzuki is hitting well. He's going to have a rehab assignment soon. That's right, Mike. And hope Cody Bellinger returns back to MVP form. (laughs) I doubt that. I like Cody Bellinger, but um, I did not like that signing. But, hey, if he does, again, Jed Hoyer... Looking like a genius. So I guess it was worth giving him a one-year deal as a flyer and seeing if he returned to MVP form. If he does, that's a huge pickup for the Cubs. But I don't see it happening. That's just me.
Here with us on Sports Talk Chicago, John Meadows in the driver's seat with me, directing and producing. I've had a good time here today. This is John Zaglul. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul. Find the show live right now on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Sports Talk Chicago. <clears throat> well, I promised we'd get to the other team in Chicago. They're getting more media fanfare. They're getting more interest from everybody. But I am genuinely concerned about what they're going to do this season. That's the White Sox. Chicago White Sox, I'm very concerned about how good they're really going to be this year. I think they have the talent and they have the pieces to be a 90-win team, to win their division even. But I'm skeptical after this past season. They have a rookie manager, Andrew Griffin. Their biggest signing this year was Andrew Benintendi, which was a great signing, but that was only a five-year, $75 million contract. So they haven't spent much money. They've decided to stick with their core, which produced an 81-81 and record last year. And they're hoping for this team to gain their edge and get back into it. Now, their starting rotation, I think, is still going to be impeccable. Giolito, Lynn, Cease, Kopech, Clevenger. That is a great rotation. You've also got Kendall Graveman, who could be a swingman, Ronaldo Lopez, the same. So you have enough depth in case somebody gets hurt. That rotation is great. Dylan Cease was runner-up last year in the Cy Young Award voting. I think he should have won it. Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito are comeback player candidates, who I think could be better than last year and think anything's better than a 4 or 5 ERA. Michael Kopech had a great year last season in limited time. And Mike Clevenger is going to be the X factor. Clevenger was dominant for Cleveland from 2015 to 2019, had Tommy John surgery, and last year was an average pitcher. Had about a 98 ERA plus, 100 is league average, a 4.02 ERA. Wasn't that great. Had the domestic abuse charge thrown out. Did not face suspension from baseball. And he's going to be your big X factor for the White Sox. If he could turn in previous years of performance in that 3, 4, or 5 slot, that's going to be huge for the White Sox. And it's similar to the Cubs. If every pitcher in this rotation performs up to their standard, if they perform at their best, this could be the best rotation in baseball. If Lance Lynn repeats 2021 form or 2019 form, if Giolito repeats 2018-2019 form, if Dylan Cease continues off last year, if Kopech continues off last year, this team could have a 3, 3.2 team ERA. From the starting rotation, they're going to be great. But the question is if and how. Will it happen? Will these guys stay healthy? Will they perform according to their best? Liam Hendricks is the closer, but he is currently undergoing treatment for lymphoma. So hopefully he's going to be okay. Until then, I don't know who they're going to use as closer yet, but there are some options, including Garrett Crochet, who is poised to have a breakout year in the bullpen. Potentially Jake Diekman as well, though he's more of a left-handed reliever, kind of a specialist. Spiny Grandal, Sebi Zavala going to be behind the plate. Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets at first. Second base is the big key right now. A new article suggesting that the White Sox may end up cutting Leury Garcia, finally. Leury Garcia had a horrible year last year. Had an OPS plus under 70, one of the worst numbers in all of baseball for some reason he's still got at bats still got opportunities but i think i think this year the Sox won't need him as much or if at all they're going to have uh Romy gonzalez up the middle oscar colas is going to get some time as well and elvis andrews who was signed this year late 
who had a great season last year in his half year with the White Sox, couldn't end up getting the majority of time at second base. And I'll tell you about with Andrews at second, and Anderson up the middle at short, Vaughn at first, and then Johan Moncada, who needs to have a pretty good year this year. That's a nice infield. Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert, Gavin Sheets, Aloy Jimenez will patrol the outfield slash DH spots. Let's be real here. This team is very similar, if not the same, to last year. A couple of different players have come into the fray. A couple of different players might be cut, like Larry Garcia, other players from last year's team. That's fine. I think, though, there's a golden opportunity for this White Sox team to be great. I think if they can rekindle what they did in 2021, they're going to be a division winner. I think they have the talent on paper to win this division. The question is, like the Cubs, will they do it? And this is a pretty big prove-it year with lots of pressure for the White Sox. I don't think people grasp that concept. If the Sox go 81-81 and again, they might blow it up. And rightfully so, because this course sucks, if that's the case. This is a prove-it year for a lot of players who we considered mainstays on this team. Yohan Moncada has to do something. 2019 needs to be repeated again, because ever since then, he's sucked. We need to see more out of Andrew Vaughn. Gavin Sheets, all these young players that have been hyped up for years for the White Sox, now they're 25, 26 years old. No more baby coddling. No more training wheels. We need to see something out of these players. Luis Robert, who's done good in limited time, he hasn't played more than 60 games in a season. (laughs) We don't even know what Luis Robert is. We could say we know. We've seen good things out of him. But can he play in 140 games, even 130? Don't know. Aloy Jimenez is a defensive liability. Can he focus on hitting and be better? Gavin Sheets, what are we going to see out of him this year? There are so many question marks. If everybody performs good or up to their potential, up to their standard, we could be watching a 92-93 win team, an AL Central Division winning team, potentially an ALCS2 World Series type team. Rick Hahn said they'd win the World Series. He said we need to be World Series or bust. Does anybody else actually believe they're going to get there, though? I don't right now. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to think about this team. I don't know how good they're going to be. This is a prove-it year, though. And I don't think there's really much room for error. If this team goes 81-81 and again, it's time to blow it up. And it's time to start investing in other players, other prospects, and you may have to start a rebuild again. And it shouldn't have to be that way. But at that point, it is going to be a harsh critique of Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Kahn and Ken Williams, all of them. It's time for the White Sox to do what they need to do to win now. There's no more waiting around. My suggestion and my thought about the White Sox record this year is going to be 84-78. and 78. I don't think they're going to be doing anything significant this year. Maybe they'll sneak into a wild card spot with 84 wins, but I think they're going to need three or four more. And this American League all of a sudden has become so good And the White Sox have just been passed up. The Mariners are good. Texas is going to be good. That's in the West only. In the East, you've got everybody who could be a threat. Last year in the East, the worst team was Boston, and they went 78-84. and Worst team in that division was Boston. All four teams above Boston went above 500. All four of them. So you have to 
go over and leapfrog all those teams on top of it. Yankees, and the Rays, and the Blue Jays, even the Orioles are going to be good this year, believe it or not. The Guardians were great last year. The Tigers have room to improve. I mean, all of a sudden, you look at these situations, these teams, and the American League as a whole, and you're wondering, where do the White Sox even fit in? That's why they need to win their division. The White Sox are not getting a wild-card spot, similar to last year. The Sox were not going to get a wild-card spot. They needed to win their division, and down the stretch, they screwed up. So they're in big trouble. And this is going to be a prove-it year for them. Everybody else has passed up the White Sox. Everybody else has passed them up. They have not grown. They've kind of stayed stagnant. 2021 was great, and they never improved upon it. And now we're in 2023. There's so many other young stars and young players taking hold of this game and other teams who are on the up and up, and the White Sox are still where they were a couple of years ago. Even the Angels could be better than the White Sox this year if they finally get their act together and have Shohei and Mike Trout and other players pick up the slack. There are so many possibilities and things that we have to watch out for. My guess, 84-78 for the White Sox and potentially a rebuild at the end of this year, and I hope they prove me wrong. But I am not confident in the direction in which they're going in, and I'm not confident in where they stand today. I'm worried about them. I love them. I've been a big fan of them the past couple of years. I've been promoting them like crazy. I love the Tony La Russa hire. I love 2021. I was excited about what they could do last year. They proved everybody wrong. And they disappointed everybody. And you come into 2023 with the exact same roster. Of course I'm going to criticize you. Of course I'm going to be worried or concerned about what you're capable of doing. This is not the situation you want to be in. So I advise the White Sox to get better. I advise the White Sox maybe make a move at the trade deadline. But if they don't do better than last year, or if they're around 500, expect a rebuild in 2024. The Hart Foundation, maybe Oscar Colas should take somebody's spot in the outfield. Oscar Colas has had a pretty good spring, top prospect. He may get time. I just don't know where. Potentially the outfield. That's a good point. I have his numbers actually right here. I was going to talk about Colas a bit. Colas last year in the minors threw three or threw 117 games. Hit 314 and had 23 home runs. Colas is solid at 24 years old. Had a decent spring as well. Hit 267. I believe he's going to make the team, so we're going to have to see where Colas uh, fits in, playing time-wise. But he's capable of playing every day, put him in every day, and find a spot on the team. Mako Spencer via Facebook. What's up, John? Mako, great to see you. Ahmad Cole, Brian Poles wants to trade the ninth pick, then maybe yes. Well, we'll see what the White Sox do as well. Both these teams in Chicago may have the same record, but they're going to be different optics surrounding how their season plays out. If the Cubs finish around 500, it is a huge success. The White Sox do, they could be rebuilding. Just goes to show you the optics and the situations surrounding both these teams in baseball. <clears throat> it's in Sports Talk Chicago. John's Glow, John Meadows here with you. And we have one last segment to go. I teased this near the beginning. For those of you who are here, all 33 of you, that's great. For those who miss it, I hope you rewatch it, or I hope you listen to it on podcast. Find us everywhere, Apple, Spotify, uh, YouTube as well. We're all over every podcast platform, wherever you get your shows. Also remember, support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Hit them up today in Orland Park. Their pie order form is out, and it's running. Give them a call today or stop into the store and order a fresh custom pie from the Amish of Northern Indiana. Tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. So, 
Here's my question to end this show, and this is going to be the most impassioned rant you will ever see. <laughs> Maybe. Has Major League Baseball gone too mainstream? Now, of course, at the outset, everybody's going to be happy. Hey, baseball's getting more popular. Baseball's making these rule changes for popularity purposes, for getting people excited about the game. But something this past week really bothered me. And maybe you saw it too. So Major League Baseball on social media, on TV, on YouTube, YouTube ads, they're purchasing ad time. They're paying stars like Brian Cranston and other comedians and players to make these commercials, promoting the game, promoting the pitch clock, base stealing, t-ball. And they're trying to tell people three new rules, new team. Like, I can look it up. I'll look it up right now. MLB, new slogan. I'm sure it'll come up. <clears throat> Maybe it won't, I guess. Yeah, rolling out a new ad campaign. It's a new ad campaign for baseball. I can't find the slogan right now. That's okay. But they keep promoting in this slogan. Three new rules. That's one of the that's a big part of the slogan. Three new rules. That's baseball. Since when did we need to beg people to watch the freaking game of baseball? This is America's pastime. And now baseball is paying comedians and actors and players to promote the game, put commercials on, and have people tune on in for new rules in baseball? What the hell is wrong with this game? The NFL is not paying people or making commercials trying to get people to watch their content. Even the NBA isn't, and they suck. But baseball is. Baseball is paying comedians and actors and players and even little kids, t-ballers, to star in commercials and to have people tune into their new product. New product, my ass. They've changed three rules of the game that are horrible. Pitch clock and shift and bigger bases. And they're promoting this to people, begging people to come in and watch their sport. What a disgrace. You have to advertise to get people to watch. You have to beg people to come on in and watch. Why not appeal to your fan base already? Why are you trying to find new people? That's right, because your current fan base, which has been loyal and with you for the past 150 years, is leaving the sport because of your stupid-ass rules. Almost said a different word there. Stupid rules. I've never seen a professional sport, unless, you know, they're struggling with ratings, advertise. Hey, the USFL, they have commercials. The XFL, they have commercials. Sure, why not? March Madness, college basketball, they have promos from the networks like ESPN and Fox. But I've never seen the NCAA make a purposeful commercial to promote people to come to their or watch their streams, watch their games. The NFL does not finance their own commercials, in-house produ produced commercials to get people to watch, right? NBA does not finance in-house commercials. You have networks like, oh, hey, this week on ESPN, watch the Clippers and the Magic, right? We see that. Or the NFL, right? Oh, this week on CBS, this week on Fox, we see that. Even for baseball, this week on TBS, we see it all the time. But have you seen a professional sports league spend their own money, use their own in-house production crew 
to make commercials to force people to watch the newly improved game of baseball. No, you haven't. You haven't seen that happen for any other league as well. It's like they're trying to be relevant. It's like these C-list celebrities who sign on to these stupid reality shows and walk around with the camera that they're paying for. Right? They walk around paying other camera people. They're paying their own camera people to film them for their own finance show or YouTube series or whatever it is. Some washed-up celebrity. Baseball has become a washed-up C-list celebrity trying to stay relevant. Paying for ad time, paying pro- production crews, their own production crews, to force people to watch their new game with new three rules. Give me a break. I don't see the NFL doing it. I don't see the NBA even doing it. The NBA has worse ratings than baseball times. And the NBA has turned into Harlem Globetrotters basketball, and they're still not paying their own people to make their own commercials to force people to tune in. But baseball is. How sad is this? And, of course, we're going to get all the new people, all these new fans, everybody who's watched the game for years saying, oh, grow up, oh, the game's changing, you got to be with us, not being stone-aged. I can't believe that I was on Instagram, that I was on YouTube, that I watched regular old TV, and I'm seeing ads with Joey Votto in them promoting the shift being over. Or promoting stolen bases because the bases are bigger. Or promoting a pitch clock and promoting the fact that the pitchers can only pick off two times per at-bat, per inning, actually. It's a joke. What are we doing here? Why is this happening? What a watered-down, sorry-ass game. But we're sitting here, and Major League Baseball is paying their own people to make their own commercials and buying ad time to get people to tune in. That's how desperate they are for viewers because nobody's watching their shitty-ass game anymore. I said at that time. I swore that time because it's pissing me off. It is horrible. It is just a shame. The depths to which baseball has sunk into. Baseball has become a C-list, washed-up celebrity. They're paying for their own camera people. They're paying for their own ad time to try and be relevant again. When the fact is, it's over. And they were passed up 20 years ago. All these celebrities paying for their own reality shows, paying their own camera crews to try and be relevant again. Nobody cares. And guess what? For baseball, nobody cares. You could sit here and try to advertise to young people, talk about pitch clocks, talk about all these different things that are happening when the fact is nobody cares. And if anything, you're advertising to people who are probably not going to tune in, and then to your purest fan base, to your fan base who's been there with you for 100-plus years, they're probably looking at you crazy. I have never seen Major League Baseball make a commercial like this. Now, I remember in 2006, you guys probably do, when they made that new slogan for baseball, I live for this, and they had all those commercials. That was fine. Way different than promoting rule changes and trying to pe- trying to get people in because of said rule changes. That's a different story. I remember the I live for this slogan. I loved it. They had Jose Reyes in those commercials, David Ortiz, all the good players of that era, Johan Santana, Derek Jeter. That was fun. 
Now we're having commercials with actors, comedians, and t-ball players to try and get people to tune into new rule changes in baseball. Can you believe where we stand today? Can you believe where this sport is gone? My goodness! Nobody else is talking about it, but I'll tell you what, it really hit me this week. I was just scrolling on my phone and I saw these commercials. I'm like, what the hell? Watching linear TV, seeing these commercials. YouTube ads, seeing these commercials. And then I thought, wait a minute, is Major League Baseball actually paying to promote their new rules to try and get people to watch? Is that how desperate they are for new viewers? That they're paying their own production crews and all these different outlets for ad time to promote to new people that, hey, baseball isn't boring anymore. Watch our new game with these new rules. What a damn joke. How far have they sunk? How far down have they gone? And that's baseball today. If you see one of those commercials or if you've seen them, comment and let me know. We're going to cut up this clip and post it as a separate video. So comment and let me know. But what do you think about that? I mean, you're advertising people to watch your sport. What are we doing? What is Major League Baseball doing? Remember the days, even of the steroid era, I'm talking about 80s, 90s, there weren't commercials like this. There weren't commercials where they're promoting new rules and begging you to tune in. There were commercials that promoted a team or promoted the game and just talked about a new slogan, new players, highlighting good players. No, now we're promoting rule changes so we can beg people to watch the game. Please watch our sport. We're dying. We made new rules, so maybe you'll decide to tune in for five minutes. Congratulations. You are abandoning your base of fans that got you to this point. You're trying to recruit new fans, and in doing so, you're changing the rules of a game that has been the same for hundreds of years. You have decimated this sport. You've decimated this game. And now we sit here today, and I'm watching frickin' commercials in 2023 about new rules, three new rules, a whole new game, give me a break. I've never seen such a sorry excuse to get people to watch a game and a sorry showing of trying to get new fans in. Baseball is in despair. And... I can't believe we sit here today, and I'm, I have to actually devote a segment to ranting about commercials for baseball, but here we are, because no other sport does this. No other sport uh, makes commercials to promote new rule changes to beg you to watch the game. No one does. And if you find something, let me know. But I've never seen that before in my years on this earth. I've never seen a sports league, a whole league, make a commercial to have people watch their game because of new rules. That's how far baseball has fallen. <laughs> Jay Boogaloo sounds like it came in just, just in time for another epic John Brant. <laughs> You're right, Jay Boogaloo. It's horrible what we're seeing. David Walter, love listening to John. He says what's on its mind all the time. Yep. Create culture. I guess soccer is going to make a comeback. You're right. I don't watch TV. Too much programming, just the games. I'm kind of with you, create culture. I don't watch TV anymore anyway. I just watch the games for all of you guys. But other than that, I don't really watch TV, you know. Um, but when I do, you know, when, I, when I'm watching games, when I'm seeing stuff on even social media and seeing these ads, that's where I was like, wow, we need to talk about this. We need to devote a segment to this. This isn't right. Be wicked. What's up, guys? Great to see you as well. So, On that note, 
I guess it's going to be time to wrap up here today. I appreciate you hanging with me. It was a baseball-heavy show, but we did talk Bears. We're going to cut all this up and get this to you throughout the week. We're going to have another live show on Wednesday night as well. Big thank you to John Meadows for all the great work directing and producing, making sure everything works out for us. You can find us on Twitter at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul, Instagram, John Z Sports. Find Sports Talk Chicago all over, Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook at the name Sports Talk Chicago. Support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Hit them up today and check out their new pie order form. Customizable pies from the Amish that you can pick up a week after you order them. Give them a call or visit the store for details. We're going to be live on Wednesday night. Hope you'll join us. Lots of Bears stuff to come. And by the way, Cubs and White Sox baseball is going to open up this week, if you can believe that. We're going to have a great time covering their seasons. We're going to have a great time covering the Bears as they ramp up near the draft. We're going to have a great time interacting with you as we do every week and hanging with you on social media. Thank you so much for watching. So long, everybody.